Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome into it, the VolQuest podcast, brought to you by Exterior Home Solutions. A free estimate, go ahead and give them a call today at 524-5888. That's 865-524-5888. That's Exterior Home Solutions. Big thanks to our friends over there for making this possible. I'm Eric Kane, Austin Price, Rob Lewis. And Brent Hubs, uh, busy time on Rocky Top right now. It's kind of crossover season. Basketball now heading into postseason play. Baseball's happening right now. Spring football is gearing up to get going here in the next couple weeks. But let's start off with basketball, Rob. And it was it was a game where Tennessee played overall pretty well, but kind of gave it away there towards the end. 0 for 7 from the last shots from the field. Didn't score for about six minutes. Auburn kind of squeaked one out there on the plains. And now because of that, because of some other things that happened, Tennessee is a fifth seed entering the SEC tournament. Yeah, just a, a really disappointing close, you know, for to, to the season for Tennessee. You know, the the obvious issue is is Zakai's injury, you know, how, how that's going to impact their, their postseason prospects going forward, you know, with a, with a little more than a one-game sample size. You know, I, I think everybody thought it was going to be have a huge impact I think that's that's going to be the case I mean that's not to say that Tennessee you know can't win a game or two or make a run I mean they're, they're still pretty competent they're still excellent defensively but man like I said it, it felt like that was going to be a big loss the moment it happened it looked like it was a big loss at Auburn did you see the way overall kind of Tennessee really I guess it was really hurting without Zakai I mean was there anything glaring was it right there at the end where oh, it was glaring the most because I, I mean they were they were playing pretty well throughout the game. I thought the most glaring thing to me was Wendell Green. I mean, he just he, – he killed Tennessee all day long. He, he scored 22 points. I think he was 7 of 11 for the field. And when they played in Knoxville, he was 2 of 11 for the field. And, that you know, that's not all Zakai. But, you know, Zakai's the tip of the spear on defense. He's the guy bringing the ball pressure 95% of the time, except for maybe the, the two minutes a half that, that he sits. So, I, I thought defensively it, it showed up far more and that's just simply when you look at will at Wendell Green's box score and again I know it was a tie with you know they would have switched off and all that but I have I feel pretty strong that like he Wendell wouldn't have cut Tennessee up like he did the other day offensively I mean Tennessee scored 70 points that, that's going to be enough for this team to win a lot of nights but man it it was it, it still looked hard I mean I was kind of surprised they got to 70 and you mentioned they didn't hit a shot in the last six minutes of the game and um I, I thought Santiago worked really hard. I mean, he, he got 21 points. He, had, he shot it a good percentage, but man, it, it did not come easy. In, in a lot of ways, Rob, I, I don't think you can sugarcoat the loss of Zakai Ziegler, but uh, to put a positive spin, if you can put a positive spin on it, I think them having to play on Thursday is a good thing because they're still trying to figure out who the heck they are without Z. So you get an extra game under your belt to kind of figure out who you are. The, the, Missouri and Tennessee were going to more than likely play each other anyway, right? It's just 
Tennessee's having to play the extra game instead of Missouri now. But again, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think Tennessee's making some deep run to win the SEC tournament. Maybe they will, but I don't think they will. But I do think this gives them an extra opportunity to kind of, I don't know, just kind of feel their way through this without Zakai Ziegler. Yeah, and it gives them an opportunity on Thursday to play either South Carolina, who they beat by a million points in, in two games this year, or Ole Miss, who you know, has, has fired their coach. And, you know, it doesn't look like they're just playing out the string, but, you know, still that that those should be two pretty, I want to say, low-stakes low games for Tennessee where they where you could, like AP is talking about, sort of see where you are without the guy, what works, what combinations work, you know, what combinations don't work. But you're, you're right about playing Missouri. That was probably going to happen on Friday anyway. Now Tennessee just is going to have been lathered up a little bit on Thursday beforehand. Are you, are you surprised? Uh, sorry, to interrupt you. No, you're good. Go ahead. Are you surprised that BJ Edwards has not played one minute? I mean, he was getting a little bit of run when they got yes. in trouble the last couple of weeks. And I mean, I'm not saying I expected him to play a ton, but to play zero, I mean, that's that's shocking to me. It is. I mean, and and I'll say this in the front: I, I don't think BJ would have made a difference at, at Auburn. I, I don't. But I'm but I'm surprised that, like, I mean, since the Zakai has went down, BJ's not seen the court when, you know, he was getting, you know. A, a rotation here and there for the last, you know, three or four games. Um, so yeah, that that has been surprising to me. But again, I, I don't think he would have been an answer or a difference maker. But when you just lost your starting point guard and you've got a freshman who, you know, you have been given some minutes to here and there, yeah, it's it was a real surprise at Auburn. Rob, biggest concern for you the 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 inability to stop straight line drives from quality guards, and I know it's one sample size and, and Wendell Green, but that concern or the fact that you have no idea what you're going to get offensively from your post players, night in and night out, and it's been that way all season long. As as the as the calendar turns to tournament play, which one of those is your bigger concern? For me, it's it's the bigs. For me, I mean Tennessee, even, even as great as Zakai is on defense, and he is he is great. I mean the way he moves, the way he gets into people, I think Tennessee can still be a good defensive team. Not as good, I and mean, they're not going to be as good. I mean this guy's a defensive player of the year candidate nationally, so they're not going to be as good, but. Yeah, I mean the post guys hover on on Saturday. I just I couldn't believe how ineffective they were, and and it, we've seen some of that. But but it's I mean they were they were so good against Arkansas, just the last game out. And it's not like Auburn. I mean Auburn has has good size, but it's not like they have dominant size, or even certainly not any anything like Tennessee hasn't seen against Alabama, um, you know, or Kentucky or some others. And and just for them to come up with four points from the the quartet of Olivier, Eurosh, Jonas, and um, and Tobe in the in the second half four points among all those four guys that was that that was a big red flag for me. South Carolina or Ole Miss? The last time the Vols played Ole Miss was the same day that Eric was taking us to a place where we ate with cats and dogs. <laughs> Johnny Boston's what a place. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, how does Rick Barnes handle the bigs, Rob? Is it just you 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 put two out there, you see how those guys do the first rotation, you play the next two, and then whoever's showing a pulse stays in the game? Is that kind of where they are with their bigs right now? I mean, I think pretty much to me, it's and it's always about defense. I mean, he cares about the offense, but I mean, Olivier played what six, might have been eight minutes in the second half at, at Auburn the other day, and Rick said point blank after the game that was about defense. It was about the, Defensive breakdowns. Um, so I think that's where it all starts for him. You know, offense, I'm not saying he doesn't care about it, but that's not what he's 
I think mainly based on his, you know, who gets what what amount of playing time out there in the post. So that should mean more minutes for Awanka, because he's. I mean, and, and I guess I, w- I would say it just means more minutes for whoever's locked in, but he's making his playing time decisions on defensive, you know, lack of def- you know defensive execution, lack of defensive breakdowns, and that he was pretty clear about. That's why Olivier. You know, didn't didn't get any run at Auburn, and for Olivier, and I don't mean to pick on him because he he's up and down, he's inconsistent. We know that, but a game like that was a Kai Ziegler out. Everybody knows they're going to have to bring a little something extra. Olivier doesn't take a shot, doesn't grab a rebound in the second half of a road game in the last game of the regular season when you're fighting, you know, for a fourth place seed. That's they ain't getting it done. Rob, last thing for me here on basketball as we enter, you know, the SEC tournament later this week. I mean, maybe this is a simple, easy question to answer because the Kai Ziegler's out, but, I mean, has anything changed, like, long-term for you in terms of this team? I mean, this team is still capable of playing good enough defense and winning some games that, um, you know, we probably count them out for right now, but also playing down to the level of the competition, a night in and night out. Entering tournament play, has anything big changed for you in terms of what you would be surprised seeing on a given night from Tennessee? I mean, I think their ceiling is going to you know, has been lowered tremendously without Zakai. I mean, I, I no. wouldn't have bet on them to make the Final Four, but, you know, it was in play if, four, you know, things go right for you in four games. And they, they can still – they can make the second weekend, but now it totally depends on your draw in, the, in that second game to me. You know, if they catch somebody that, you know, pulled off an upset in round one or just somebody that's, that's a really good matchup for them, you know, that's in that five to six seeding range, then I could see Tennessee – you know, pull it off and, and making it to the second weekend. But uh, to me, you just, you just have to be realistic and losing losing a guy like Zakai in the next to last game of the regular season that puts a damper on March. Is Tennessee playing for seeding this weekend, or you think they're pretty locked in? You know, Hubbard, I don't know the answer to that question because, and because, and because of what we saw last year more than anything. I mean, Tennessee, to, to me, clearly, maybe they got help by beating Kentucky on, on Saturday a little bit. In, in Tampa, but you know they they certainly didn't get a big boost from from winning the SEC. So you know I don't if if you beat South Carolina and Missouri and lose to Alabama, does that I mean if they beat Bama on Saturday, I could see them you know getting bumped up a notch. But if they just like you know win that first one and end up splitting with Missouri, I doubt it really impacts them a lot. I just wonder you know how the Zakat thing is going to be viewed by the committee because I, I mean I. I think they're justified to take it into account for certain. I mean, if you look at what Tennessee's been without him or what, you know, it's a, it's a small sample size, but also don't think it's out of control to, to take that into account and think that Tennessee, you know, deserves getting knocked down a seat or two. We'll see. That's a good point because if Tennessee, now it didn't matter because Tennessee lost to South Carolina, Brent, but on that point, if Tennessee were to have beaten South Carolina – and beaten Vanderbilt and been really very much in the playoff hunt with only one loss, but no Hendon Hooker, that's something the committee as well would look at, I feel like, and that's almost a similar situation to Sakai. Yeah, the, the difference is you're talking about, Austin, you're talking about four teams versus 64 teams. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I, I think that weighs heavier when you're talking about a four-team playoff in, in football and is a much more highly contested debate th- than it is in this situation here. But because Tennessee is not battling for a number one seed, it's probably a popular debate if Tennessee and basketball were up were thought to be a number one seed, and then they lost to Kai Ziegler. But setting where they are right now, 
you know, you're, you're talking about going from a three to a four, maybe something like that. Um, it, it's a little bit different, but, but the committee's already shown in years past that they weigh injuries into account. And, and that's something, I mean, going all the way back to Kenyon Martin when he was at Cincinnati, he was the first one I can remember, but there've been others throughout the years that late injury affects somebody's seating. And I think that's why, you know, you're curious to see if Tennessee's playing for a seat or they not playing for seating this weekend. Well, Tennessee will begin play in the SEC tournaments on Thursday. It'll be the second game on Thursday. The winner of Ole Miss and South Carolina who play in the first four on Wednesday. And so we, we see that. We transition now away from the hardwood to Indianapolis. And Austin, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on Tennessee's performance at the NFL Combine. Uh, me and Brent talked about it the other night on the uh, Rocky Top Rewind. Uh, but you had seven balls compete. Of course, Hendon Hooker couldn't really do an awful lot. But guys like Darnell Wright and Byron Young did really well. I think Cedric Tillman had a good day. Jalen Hyatt was overall pretty solid. What was your thoughts on Tennessee's performance at the NFL Combine? I, I thought they did really well. Uh, Byron Young obviously made himself some money. Uh, his performance was was really really good. Um, Darnell Wright, same thing. Again, I'm on. I'm under the the belief that Jalen Hyatt didn't hurt himself at all. Now. You know, could he have run faster? Sure. But it's not like he ran some silly slow time, right? Like, he just ran really solid. Um, but he jumped and broad jumped and, and vertically jumped extremely well. Um, you know, I, I just – I feel like Tennessee did a lot of good at the Combine with the guys that were there. I'm excited to kind of see where Darnell Wright goes in this thing. I think he's going to continue to go rocketing up uh, into round one. And, you know, then it just boils down to, you know, fit. Like, you know, does a team need somebody like Jalen Hyatt? Do they need somebody like Byron Young? I mean, Daryl Taylor went all the way into round one, which was a surprise. And it was around two, sorry. Round two. Um, it was uh, early, though. It's like pick it was like early for him. It was early for him. And, and and that's because it fit. They fell in love with him. All it takes is one team. It takes one team to fall in love with you and, and need you. <laughs> At, 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 you know, at that position, and all of a sudden you go flying way up. So, you know, is that going to happen with Byron Young? Is that going to happen with Jalen Hyatt or Cedric Tillman? Or, you know, and it's for Darnell Wright. Does he go higher than maybe a lot of people thought into round one, um, you know, because of his performance and how he how he stacked up and who all needs tackles, you know? And so, you know, I, I just – I think Tennessee did themselves a lot of, a lot of good, uh, or the Tennessee players did, and – I ultimately think that this is a draft where they can get a little bit of buzz and it continues to help them in recruiting. Tennessee has become the cool school. And that's because they score points, they're fun to watch, and they've had success. And so if they can now parlay that into success on draft day, to me that's the kind of the cherry on top for Josh Heupel and his coaching staff. I mean, Rob, at some point somebody's going to talk about player development in Tennessee's program when you talk about this draft. And I think that's the biggest recruiting win for Tennessee is when the talking heads on draft day are talking about guys and their development under this coaching staff at, at Tennessee is where they're going to win big. But particularly with a guy like Darnell Wright, um, Byron Young, even though maybe Tennessee, this staff didn't sign them, where they're at now compared to where they were two years ago is just night and day different. And, and I think that's where Tennessee gets the biggest lift as a program. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's I mean, it's it's irrefutable. I mean, you had guys who weren't, you know, I know they were younger, but I mean, Jalen Hyatt wasn't wasn't a starter. Byron Young is just 
you know, as raw as raw as could be. I mean, every, I mean, every he, he had a great story, and you know, the athleticism was obvious. But you know, there that's not an automatic that you're going to take that athleticism and, and get to you know get to where he got from a production standpoint. So he's a great story. Jalen's a great story. Cedric Tillman. I mean, I mean, there's so many good stories there. I mean, Dar- you know, Darnell was obviously somebody everybody knew about, but it's not like he set the college football world on fire. In, you know, his first two years of playing, even though he played a lot of football. So, you know, Hubbard, I, I think you you hit it. I mean, it's it's definitely something that Josh Heupel and his staff and you know the the recruiting office should be able to make some hay out of. Uh, and, and I'll still say, I, I, I think one of the biggest feathers in Darnell's cap is the fact he's just 21 and doesn't turn 22 until, uh, you know, he'll be in camp with an NFL team in August. And, I mean, and it's played four, four full years. So, um, I'm, I'm with you, Rob. I, I think, you know, some of these people are like, well, you know, those were Jeremy Pruitt's guys. And, I, and you hear, still hear that a few times. Yeah, well, what the guys that Jeremy got drafted, those were Butch Jones guys. That's going to happen no matter when you fire a coach – if the next coach is competent at all and somebody gets drafted, that's kind of part of the process, right? I mean, like, sure. you got to coach who you've got. And and you're, and Rob's right. I mean, Darnell was okay the first couple of years, but he really took off under Glenn Ellery because, as Hubs has talked about a million times, Darnell isn't easy to trust, and he learned to trust Glenn Ellery, and there you see the byproduct of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's it, to, to say that these guys – I mean – it's not a knock on the previous staff to say that a freshman and sophomore hadn't developed a freshman or sophomore year hadn't developed as far as it had. It's sure. more of a credit to this current staff for, for taking the players they inherited and, and turning them into the productive guys that, that they have, you know, they didn't cast anybody off and, and guys got better under them. So I think, I think the current guys deserve credit. That's not a slap on the previous guys, but you got to give the current guys credit for what they did to develop all of those guys. I, I still say this, and, and and I'm not a I'm not playing conspiracy theory, but I've seen the picture out there of Darnell or Darnell Washington and the other tight end. Yeah, you've seen that where where Darnell was supposedly shorter in the measurements than the other tight end, which is not even close in those pictures. And and listen, I'm elated for Byron Young's time, but do we really think Byron Young runs two one hundredths of a second slower than Jalen Hyatt in a 40-yard dash? I mean, are we going to put those guys out and race them? I'll take Jalen Hyatt in a race in the 40 between those two. And I'm not I'm not knocking Byron Young. I'm just saying all the receiver times were really slow compared to what a lot of people were projecting. And now, like you got, now you got some guys' measurements that, picture-wise, it looks like one's clearly taller than the other. Sounds like he's knocking them a little bit, AP. As he should, because that's valid. Have you seen the picture? It's like an inch and a half to two inches. Hey, it's, just, um, it's just kind of bizarre. I mean, you know, but but again, here's what I think we're learning more and more, and you're seeing this. You saw this on a bunch of stories written on Monday and even some stuff on Sunday night. You're seeing people talk less and less about numbers and more and more about skill set and more and more about what they can do. Like re- remember years ago, everybody talked about the bench press numbers, right? I mean, how much how much did a guy could a guy bench, you know? And and the bench press numbers for an offensive lineman were such a big deal. No, no, they don't even show the bench press stuff. Darnell didn't bench. Right. Yeah, I mean, no, no, because there's there's no value in it, right? And, and the forty times I think are losing a little bit of its value because it's more about what guys can do skill wise, not just not just the phys- the physical 
ability to run fast or jump fast. Well, I mean, look at Wanye. He popped a hamstring. Yeah. You know, and 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 as pointed out on Twitter by an old offensive lineman, that might happen in a in a football game where you're asked to do what he was asked to do right there, once in a blue moon. Well, um. Hendon Hooker had a 10-and-a-half-inch hand size, so no Kenny Pickett situation there in case you're wondering. Jeremy Banks, is he going to get drafted, Austin? He um he had, a really good, he had a really good showing. He was second in the vertical jump in terms of linebackers, third in the broad jump in terms of linebackers, third in the 20-yard shuttle. He ran a 4-5-40 after stumbling, <laughs> running a 4-7 in his first attempt. Uh, he played in the Shrine Bowl. We know the type of player he is. We know his shortcomings, but we know what he does well. Is he going to get drafted, or is he? I mean, he's going to be in a camp no matter what. But is he going to get drafted? I, I say yes. Now, all that's predicated on the behind-the-scenes stuff of him. On the yep. field production is fine. They're, you know, the way he performed is fine. It's you know any kind of question marks or character concerns that they have. Are they going to dock him for some stuff? And again, I don't think it was his best moment going up there and saying, you know, I don't see no reason why I shouldn't be able to play the South Carolina game. And sometimes you just got to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. Even if you don't feel like you did it in your mind. Sometimes sometimes in my, if I'm in an argument with my wife, sometimes it's, it, it behooves me to just say, that's on me and move on. Continuing to, you know, go down the other road just doesn't do anybody any good. So I guess from, from my liking, I think NFL teams would probably rather have heard you know, I didn't do what I needed to do. I wasn't able to play, and 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 I hated I couldn't play in that football game. Well, well, not just on, not just that. I, I agree with you 100. percent It's also what he said, Rob. It didn't make any sense what he said, right? Like it's competition every day. I should have played. Yeah, I didn't get it. Like, I, just, I, I mean, I can't parse it. I don't want to. I don't want to try to break it down. I mean, I, I just think. I'll fall back on what AP said. It just it didn't handle it the best. I mean, I don't know if it ends up costing him, but you know, I, I think Tennessee fans would have appreciated it, seeing it handled a little bit differently. Well, he he looked so unprepared to answer that question, which again is horrible because you knew that question was coming at the NFL Combine. So I'm not trying to say he wasn't prepared, but it looked like he was not prepared to answer that question. So he looked really silly trying to answer it. Therefore, I'm it just kind of came out. Whatever that was. See, the kids here, when they go through pro day, they don't have to talk. It's their option. A lot of them do, right? I'm interested to see if he talks here. Because it wouldn't surprise me at all if he just declines. Yep. And I think he needs to. I think he needs to talk for sure. We are talking football. We're talking NFL Combine right now. But the month is March. Here, there's a lot of madness happening in this month, and that's why you need to check out MyBookie. Make your March Madness a moneymaker with MyBookie. Getting started is so easy. All you need to do is visit MyBookie online and use the promo code VOLQUEST to receive a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Grab your extra funds now, and for a limited time, claim a free entry into the $150,000 MyBookie Madness Bracket Contest for a chance to win big money. If you're the type of guy who likes to fill out multiple brackets to get an advantage, you can do that too. The price of an entry is less than an Uber, all for a shot at life-changing money 
Uh, and, and that happens right now at my bookie. With so many brands to choose from, you need a platform that makes it simple to bet and win like my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Guys, it was Friday night. Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated just tweeted a, a screenshot of his notepad. It had... It had teams from the SEC and their three teams. He had the cheers emoji. So that's what he thinks his latest rendition of is what it's going to look like for the permanent opponents when the conference expands and all that. For Tennessee, it was Alabama, it was Vanderbilt, and it was South Carolina. I think we all can agree that if that it turns out to be what it is, that's a win for Tennessee. Um, I made the comment that there's nothing sexy whatsoever about South Carolina. I think that's awful, but it is still a win for Tennessee, Brent. Well, yeah, I mean, look, Tennessee's going to get Alabama. They're going to get Vanderbilt. And the question becomes, who's the third team? You know, um, I think Kentucky makes more sense. Um, that's where I would go. We'll see if that's what ends up happening or doesn't end up happening. Um, you know, I, I, the criteria is supposedly based on, you know, what Nick Saban's saying, a 10-year study and a 10-year look at things, which I think you have to do if you're the SEC. You can't base it on the last two years or the last three years or whatever. You got to look big picture. But, but again, I think you, you know, you got a rivalry game with Kentucky that you're trying to preserve a bunch of other rival rivalries. I don't know why you, I don't see the big deal in having Kentucky instead of South Carolina. I don't see that when you look at South Carolina, Tennessee, you say, well, that's a better, that, that equates the, the competitiveness across the board better or anything like that. I'm not trying to knock South Carolina, but I think Kentucky and South Carolina are pretty interchangeable. And so to, to me, I would put Kentucky in there for, for, you know, as Tennessee, as Tennessee's third opponent. I agree. And, 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 you know, based off of what he had, the easy switch is to give South Carolina to Georgia. Those two have been more natural rivals um, and Kentucky to Tennessee. Now, if you're basing off a 10 year pattern though, hover, is it kind of looking at like, okay, the, like for Alabama, LSU is a tough opponent. Last 10 years, Tennessee, they're 9-1. and one. That's their easy opponent. And not just looking at it as Tennessee gets a little bit better here. Much like for Tennessee, Alabama's the tough opponent. Vanderbilt's the weak opponent. And South Carolina's a mid-level opponent because the last 10 years it's been more middle than the Kentucky series, which even though Kentucky's won a few times, it's still been really lopsided. I, I don't know. I mean, is that it, that's kind of how I'm looking at it? Are they looking at it that way? Is it kind of like hard, medium, easy? And they we we want to try to give everybody a hard, medium, and an easy. I don't know. Yeah, and, and, and I know there's a, 
a million different ways to do it, but just in, in like you're talking about right there, just flipping Kentucky and South Carolina for Tennessee, the negative for that, I mean, from the SEC standpoint, would be that we give South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida, which is probably biting off a little more than they want to chew. I mean, I, I realize you can fix it, you know, tweaking seven more things down the road, but as far as just that easy switch for, you know, flipping Kentucky and South Carolina for Tennessee, that would that would go badly for South Carolina. I mean, look at Alabama, too. Alabama would have Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. Who's the hard, medium, and, and soft in that, yeah. in, in that nobody, one, right? Nobody cares, nobody cares about that. Based 10 years, Tennessee would be yeah. easy for Alabama. Okay. I'm just saying, if you're – what Auburn I'm saying, would be medium. off 10 years, mm-hmm. going off that notion. Yeah, I, I just look at – I mean, again, I, if you're going to preserve rivalries – Okay, I mean, Tennessee and, and Kentucky have played every year since 1944. You know, I mean, all the rest of them in the league that are long-standing rivalries preserve their game, right? I mean, you got you got Auburn and Georgia playing. You know, that's the old, the Deep South's oldest rivalry. You got the world's largest cocktail outdoor sunbathing bash, whatever that thing's called now, between Georgia and Florida. Uh, you got the third Saturday in October. You got the Egg Bowl. Like, I don't know. I mean, I know they don't play for the beer barrel anymore, but I mean, th- that's been a long-standing rivalry in the league. If you're going to preserve the rivalries, I would say preserve that. The other thing too is you're playing them in basketball. It gives you a, a year-long rivalry, you know, because you're going to, you know, there's a rivalry there in hoops, and you're going to keep playing them in hoops as a natural rival. To to me, that's the one that makes more sense. But but to your point, Austin and and Rob, to your point, when you're trying to equate, and we've talked about this for weeks. Somebody wasn't going to be happy. I don't think any of us thought Nick Saban would be the first one to go public with his displeasure with it all. Uh, but but there's not going to be some people happy. I don't think Tennessee is going to come out and say anything publicly because I don't think it. I think they're good either way. But but I just look at the Kentucky series and you know I don't know they just played those just two just because they've been in the league longer they played just a lot longer. There's a lot more history sex appeal if you will between those two teams playing than there is Tennessee South Carolina. I, that one doesn't bother me. I mean, it, it, because all these other rivalries you mentioned, Hubbard, are either in-state, you know, bloodbaths like Ole Miss, sure. Mississippi State, or they've been competitive, but with like SEC teams that have won SEC titles: Auburn and Georgia, you know, Georgia and Florida, Alabama, LSU. I, you know, what Kentucky's never won anything in football. I mean, they've beaten Tennessee a couple times here in you know the worst era of Tennessee football in the modern. You know, in modern SEC, but I mean, they, it's what, what Tennessee win 31 in a row. A lot. <laughs> you're right. Been losing I, home since 1984 prior to 2020. I mean, you're, I mean, you're exactly right, Rob. I mean, and, and, and again, they, they did, you know, both those schools haven't done anything to enhance the rivalry because they took the nostalgia out of it with the beer barrel and didn't bring it back. And, you know, it just, it has kind of become another game. You know, and, and I think I mean, in the eyes of some people, for an old person like me, it pales in comparison to losing Auburn when in first in the first realignment. That I mean, to, to, to me, I mean, you know, they played Auburn and Kentucky again. Eric, you, this this happened. You can look it up, Eric. There's probably a <laughs> there's probably an SEC special about this it. This happened in 1991. But I mean, born. that Tennessee Auburn game was huge every yeah. every year. You know, it growing was. up as a, as a, as a kid and. To be, I don't think losing Kentucky's on that level. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and again, I think if you're Tennessee and you're Tennessee fans, you're happy either way. 
whether it's Kentucky or South Carolina, you're happy either way. Yeah. One, because you like the draw. Two, you can get in your car and drive to any of those games every year or every other year whenever you're playing on the road. They're all drives. It's not like Florida drawing Oklahoma, if that's what ends up happening. You don't have to go to Missouri every other year, which is a win. You only got to go there once every four years, um, you know, from a travel standpoint. We still got to figure out how we're getting there, Austin, this year. <laughs> so, you know, I think when you I think when you look at that, um, you know, that that's the win for Tennessee. I, I, you know, and that's why Danny White and Tennessee are going to be like, yeah, we're good with either one of those. Doesn't bother us either way. Um, and I, and I get that. I mean, if I were in their shoes, I would be the same way. And, and I don't have a problem if you go to South Carolina. That's a, that's not a. I mean, that's an easy game to get to, and it's not a bad place to play a football game. And hey, it gets you out of the Kentucky wind and in November, so at night, right, AP? Exactly right. And the Ferris wheel's right there too. Yes, you got the Ferris wheel at the at the grounds. You know, Bojangles. Yes. Get, a, get the Bojangles there. I don't. Yeah, that Bojangles is still there across the street. They're, I just, they're, I mean, I've never seen more football players run for food after a game back in the 90s than they did because there was no Bojangles around Knoxville. And the sprint for football players to Bojangles to, before they got on the bus to go to the airport was pretty phenomenal. Now, Tennessee now takes seven ovens and heat units and serves them a full course meal pre-game <laughs> halftime post-game so there's no need to that but guys would literally run across the street you know to, to go get their bojangles to get on the bus and, and head back 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 before nutrition became what nutrition is now hey last thing i want to do uh to, to finish off this tuesday podcast uh ap there was a junior day last weekend third of the semester first year of march kind of setting the table First thing since the dead period has been lifted, and of course it's going to be a busy month with a lot of visitors on campus as Tennessee begins spring practice. Kind of what was the big uh, the highlights of Saturday's junior day, and what should we be in, in store for this month of March? Well, I, yeah, I talked about this on the Rocky Top Rewind. To me, the top two names for the 24 class uh, that were here are Bodie Cahoon, a uh, linebacker out of the state of Virginia, Peyton Lewis, running back out of the state of Virginia, um, there were a bunch of 25s and 26s here. Donovan Johnson, the good-looking kid. Um, we can go right down the list. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think for the 24 class, specifically, it's the two kids from Virginia. And uh, I think Tennessee did really well with both. Tennessee will begin spring practice here in a couple of weeks. And, you know, much like last year, much like fall camp, I mean, there's going to be guys that are sitting there watching at practices going on, coming in, sitting in meetings, watching how – position coaches coach that position and all that who are some of the guys that have already let it be known that they will be back to see a spring practice at some point in the month of march well speaking of cahoon he'll be here uh april 11th for practice um tennessee will have jake merklinger on who's to me their top quarterback on the board he'll be here later in march amari jefferson will be here in march boo carter will be back up um edwin spillman will be coming back to town and you know so i mean like edwin it feels like that one's gonna I thought it was going to happen in, in March or April, but I think it's going to drag into June. I think this kid's going to take two two officials. I think he's going to take one to Tennessee, and he's going to take one to Ohio State. But, uh, you know, getting him back over here will be big. And then you want to get Sammy Brown to campus. You want to get Kamarion Franklin in for a spring practice if you can. You want to get uh, Cameron Fountain from the Atlanta area up here. So a, a bunch of those kids should be here in the month of March and April. Yeah, I think you got to get Ronan O'Connell on campus too, AP, because I think he's going to take some trips up up to some Big Ten schools. So I think you need to get him on campus for a spring practice as well um, as another in-state guy. Um, you, you know, 
March is huge. March, March and April have just become huge months to, to get these guys in to, to see things and, and kind of set the stage for official visits and set the stage for trying to close some deals in June. So, um, and I think I think you'll see more quality guys on campus for Tennessee in March and April this year than in previous years. I think now we're going to start to see the benefits of Tennessee's season, you know, uh, of 11 and two. I think you're going to really start to see that come into vogue uh, with the with the quality of guys who are going to be here over the course of the next six weeks. Recruiting never stops. You can find it all at VolQuest.com. Uh, guys, we're over there for the junior day. Already a couple articles out there. There will continue to be some articles throughout the week uh, from Matt Austin over at VolQuest.com. All right, guys, appreciate you guys for tuning in, hanging out with us here on the Tuesday VolQuest podcast. And it couldn't be made possible without our guys over at Exterior Home Solutions. Do fantastic work, siding, roofs, whatever you guys need. It is uh, about to get into storm season. So whatever you need to do to kind of upgrade your home, Exterior Home Solutions can do it for you. For a free estimate, give them a call of the day over at 865-524-5888. That is 865-524-5888. Or check them out online, exteriorhomesolutions.com. For Austin Price, Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, I'm Eric Kane. We'll be back on Thursday for the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.